Welcome to Myth versus Craft. Welcome to episode 19 of Myth versus Craft. My guest today is a true musical icon. You probably already know that Alex Acuna is one of the world's best drummers and percussionists, and that he filled both roles with the legendary jazz fusion band Weather Report. What you may not know is that he's been playing professionally for over 60 years and has been one of the most sought after and prolific session musicians of the past 30 plus years. Alex has recorded or performed with Elvis Presley, Diana Ross, Paul McCartney, Ella Fitzgerald, The Temptations, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, U2, Paco de Lucia, Tito Puente, and many, many more. He's also recorded film scores with luminaries like John Williams, Alan Silvestri, and Hans Zimmer. At 71 years old, he's as vibrant as ever, and as you'll hear toward the end of the episode, he thinks he's playing better than ever. I need to take a moment to thank my friend Ricardo Masi, who's a talented drummer in his own right, for introducing me to Alex and setting up this conversation. Rich had told me that Alex was a really good guy, yet I was still pleasantly surprised by the warmth, generosity, and joyfulness that Alex exudes. Here we go. Alex, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Excellent. No, I, I love it. Definitely, uh, it's going to be good for, for everybody, especially for me. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you were born in the town of Pativilca, Peru, which is about 200 kilometers north of Lima. Do you That's remember true. the population of Pativilca at that time? It was around 800 to 1,000 people. <laughs> wow, so it was a tiny, tiny town. Yeah, very little town. Now I'm, I'm sure it's, it's bigger. I haven't been there for, for a while, but uh, I'm sure it's, it's bigger now, yes. I understand that your father was a musician. Did he find many opportunities near your hometown, or did he often travel to Lima? My father was born in the north of Peru, which is Lambayeque, Chiclayo. And my mother, they got married around there a long time ago, and then they kept coming from the north, going south, where Lima is. And he became a, a professor of a, a high school. In those days, they had they had bands in the high schools, and... Uh, and that's how uh, he also was able to teach my my five older brothers. My brothers became very good musicians, and uh, they went to Lima and became very successful. My father stayed with me in Pativilca. He was getting older, and uh, I was around 10 years old when I started playing music professionally. And, uh, and then by 15, I went to Lima, and I lived in Lima for about three years, and then I came to the United States in 1964. So I understand that you started playing drums very young. Did you start out playing percussion, or were you immediately drawn to the drum set? Actually, I, I say the same thing all the time. For me, both are the same, drums, percussion. It's the same family, because I would say playing percussion will help my drumming, and playing drums will help my percussion playing. Right. So, yeah, they like twins, kind of, kind of way. And um, I start both. I start both. And uh, I play a little piano. I play a little trumpet. And uh, so that was my uh, kind of a basic education at the beginning. Did you enjoy them? Did they come as naturally to you as percussion and the drums or, or not really? Not really. I would say, you know, metaphorically speaking, the percussion really called me. 
<laughs> they they call me. Uh, my father used to build percussions and congas and bongos and ballets and drums. And uh, I mean, you know, from like from nothing because we need the instrument. We needed the instrument in in our home and in the, in the band that wow. that we had. So he killed the the sheep. Definitely made a good seco de cabrito, and then uh, <laughs> he definitely made the, the head from uh, from the sheep. And then he found, uh, you know, good uh, handyman that work on wood, and also um, people that work on uh, metals. So he made they made the rings and the sticks and everything. So anyhow, just to say that um, the instruments were available when I was already growing uh, growing up, you know, three, four, five years old, the instruments were, were at home made by my father. But uh, like I said, the percussion called me. And if you ask me why the percussion called me, because uh, when I touch the bongos, when I touch the congas, my, my hands and the skin and the wood really made a big difference for me. And then when I got the sticks, and hit the cymbals and hit the snails and stuff like that. Also, uh, the resonance of those instruments really made it a big impression in my in my soul. So that's when I said, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to play these instruments because it really made me feel great, you know. So that's, that's the main reason why I got to play the percussion instead of continuing to play. The piano, what happened is I took classes, but I didn't have piano to practice. In my home, we were we were very poor. So yeah, definitely, I got education about chord changes and melodies and everything. But uh, but I didn't have the time or, or, or the place or the instrument to practice to continue. By age sixteen, you were working as a session musician in Lima. What type of work were you doing? Everything, exactly, <laughs> almost exactly what I'm doing here in the United States right now. I was playing big bands. Um, I, I became a staff drummer of a big recording company over there in those days. It's called Odeon. It's O-D-E-O-N. In South America, it was like uh, Sony or Columbia Records over here mm-hmm. in those days, or RCA Victor, you know. And uh, I was the staff drummer over there. I played, whoever came to record there, I, I played. Uh, sometimes it's Spanish music, like flamenco music, sometimes orchestra, big bands, uh, all different styles of music. Uh, we play, you know, Latin, we play jazz, um, we play kind of in those days pop music, you know. We call it the Nueva Ola. Uh-huh. We play uh, Brazilian music, um, you know, like uh, the Bossa Nova was already... Uh, be- becoming popular in South America when Jobim uh, began playing the bossa nova, the Brazilian music. And um, so I learned all that stuff. It really kept me uh, sharp by uh, being able to describe, understand, and appreciate, and then perform those different genres, different styles of music. Were you focused mostly on on studio work, or were you performing live with bands as well? In those days, I was performing live too on the weekends. But uh, from Monday to Friday, I was doing sessions in the morning, and then I did a TV show 
uh, at, at uh, around 1 p.m. And then I went back to continue to record from 2 to 5 or 6. And then I did a radio in those days. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, 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 the radio had a, had a band, an orchestra almost sometimes to play live. I mean, I'm talking 60s, 62, 63, 64. And then, um, and then I play another television program uh, in Channel 2 at uh, 9 p.m. So uh, I work, and then I go and play in the, in the, in the club, a show or a concert in the club with artists, wow. different artists, uh, international people that came from South America and from Mexico and from Europe and from also from here, from uh, from the United States. So, I mean, I don't want to say it like this, but uh, I was very busy. I was working like from 9 o'clock in the morning to about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning every wow. day. Yeah, and I only was like 16, 17, 18. <laughs> <laughs> You uh, famously joined Perez Prado's band at 18. How did he hear about you? Well, he came to do um, a tour in South America, including uh, Venezuela, Colombia, Peru, Chile, Argentina, and Brazil. Uh, he was looking for musicians, especially for a drummer, to do those tours. And uh, in those days, Peru had a lot of Cuban musicians, lots of them, fantastic musicians that came from Cuba, and they love Peru. So I was working in the channel nine at 9 p.m., channel 2 at 9 p.m., and he came to do a show. They put the band together, and the first thing he asked was for a drummer. Uh, we were two candidates. Uh, the other drummer also studied with my father in, in Pativilca, also from Pativilca, also was a great drummer. And then... They said, there is one that is older and there is one that is very young. He said, well, let me try the young one. Okay. <laughs> they invite me, and right after we played the first song, immediately he told the manager, he said, the, man the manager of the band, he said, I want to take that little kid with me on my tour to wow. South America. And then I want to bring all, uh, him also to the United States to do a tour with me in in United States for 10 months. So that was that was amazing. <laughs> so being being so young, did you have any hesitation, or was it an immediate yes, let's go? No, I I had a lot of hesitation. First of all, you know, at seventeen, eighteen, uh, you know, uh, I had my little girlfriend. I bought my new car. I had a chauffeur because my mother didn't let me to drive because uh -huh. I was too young. You know, I had the chauffeur who was able to take me to all the gigs, set up my drum. <laughs> so he was a chauffeur slash roadie. Right, exactly. And in those days, actually, it was a luxury to have a car. Uh, only rich people had a car. You know, not everybody had a car. Like now, anybody can buy a car. But in those days, to own a car was a very luxury. It was very expensive. And uh, because I was making a lot of money and my mom saw that... Uh, I can invest on the, instead of taking all these cabs and cabs and taxis, you know, to say, I'm going to buy a car for you, but uh, you cannot drive it. Anyhow, so yes, I was hesitant to leave all that, especially to leave my mother and my brothers, you know. My father wasn't longer with us. He was uh, separated from my mother, so he was not living in Lima with us. And uh, the environment that I had, you know, I was uh, 
so spoiled with uh, musically speaking, working speaking, you know, <laughs> with Bulala, a lot of great stuff going on right there. I said, wow, I'm going to leave all this? But the offer that he offered me was a lot, of mon- a lot of money. And my brothers, my older brothers, they convinced me, and they had a point. And they said, Alex, you always buying records of jazz, big bands, uh, drummers, and all kinds of music, Mal Davis, and everything that you like. And I know you want to go to the United States someday because you love jazz. This is a great opportunity. Uh, everything is ready for you. I mean, you cannot uh, say no to this. So that convinced me. They were right. And I took, I said, yeah, okay. So my parents went to the American embassy uh, slash uh, consulate to do the contracts. And I got my passport and everything. But before I came to the United States, I did some tour with him uh, in, in South America. I went to the carnivals of Venezuela. In those days, Caracas had 10 days of carnivals where the best bands, Latin bands from New York, especially, and from Havana, Cuba, came. So, Benestaro also went. It was Tiro Puente, Machito, Tiro Rodriguez, Sonora Matancera with Celia Cruz. I used to come in those days. This is, you know, 62, 63, 64 to Venezuela. And uh, and that was the first time I, I did uh, uh, my first trip was to Caracas, and I really like. I said, "Wow, I flew. I'm in a hotel. <laughs> I'm seeing all these great musicians from the United States. They really sound great. They they are in a different level than the musicians that I'm playing in my country. I saw the level, and I felt the level of musicianship. And I said, "Yes, definitely, I have to go to the United States." So that's how I came. You must have been the youngest member of the band. How did you feel when you first joined them? Were you intimidated at any point? No. You know why? That's a great question that you, by the way. <laughs> what happened is because I always play with other people. In Peru, I already was working with my brothers and also big bands and other you know, people that hired me. Everybody was older than me all the time. Even when I started working at 10 years old, everybody was older than me. So I was used to be around older people. So when I came to the United States, actually, Perez Prado uh, assigned the lead trumpet player of the band. His, he, his name was Jaime Calderon. He said, Jaime, take care of Alex. He's a minor. He cannot drink. He cannot definitely do any drugs. But I was already mature in my mind because I was already around that, those kind of people in, with the decisions. He wasn't knew about the difference of age it wasn't really new for me i heard that uh it was during a visit to new york that you saw tony williams playing with miles davis do you remember the first time you saw them actually the first time i saw gene krupa playing at the metropole the band was playing behind the bar behind there was a little stage and gene krupa was playing there and it was about two blocks away from my hotel. I was staying on the Times Square. And then the second night, I went and I saw another great band. It was Woody Herman, amazing, amazing drummer he had. So I saw two drummers. And then the third night, I found a friend that was uh, a Peruvian friend, trumpet player. He said, man, you want to go and see uh, Miles? He's playing in, uh, you know, in the village. I said, okay. 
So we went, <laughs> but in any of those places that I mentioned before, and, and, and this place, uh, the village, uh, they didn't let me in because I was a minor. Yeah. You know, I, I, I was already 18 going to 19, but I looked maybe 16. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was a skinnier and a little guy, skinnier. And so they didn't let me in. What I did is I went behind the alley and I listened to Tony Williams. And Tony Williams was actually a year younger than me. Tony and I were born the same date, December 12th. Wow. Yeah, he was only 17 years old, going to 18. I was 18 going to 19. And uh, when I heard that, that music, for the first time in my life, live like that, because, you know, jazz, it, it was, especially in those days, a very progressive genre, very progressive music. Uh, they were developing. So every week, the same musicians are playing differently. You know, they they, they developing, developing, and going forward and forward. And when I heard Tony Williams playing those tempos with Miles, and I'm pretty sure already my friend Wayne Shorter was there. This is 1964. And I said, whoa, I didn't understand anything. I wasn't able to hear where one was. The, the speed of, of the drummer was impeccable, so crisp and so fast, and very involved technique and the stamina. I said, wow, I wish I could see him play because... Uh, <laughs> And I tell you, you know, I mean, just like today, maybe, you know, there are some great musicians, great drummers around all over the world, especially here in the United States. But in those days, the drummers of those, of those days still, still challenge us, still, especially Tony. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. Why did you end up leaving Perez Prado's band? Actually, uh, the, the contract... Uh, we, we accomplished everything. And he, we met in downtown Los Angeles, and he said, Alex, here's your ticket. Here's the last uh, thing, money that I owe you. And uh, I'm leaving to Mexico. He said, I cannot take you to Mexico. I said, I'm sorry. I, I don't even want to go to Mexico. I said, I'd rather go back to my country. He said, well, you have a, a, permanent, a permanent residence. You can come to the United States and live here and uh, look for a better future if you think that you can have a better future over here. It was an incredible pleasure to to have you, blah, blah, blah. We hug each other, we ate, we had a little coffee and sandwich and stuff like that. And then he said, I'm, I'm sorry, I hope I can see you again. And uh, But you did a great job. And actually, I had a lot of fun during the year that I was with him, during the, the 10 months that I was traveling with him. And uh, so he went to Mexico. I went back to Peru, and then I came back to Puerto Rico in 1965. And you studied at the Puerto Rico Conservatory of Music. How prepared were you to study classical percussion? <laughs> this is funny because, you know, I only went to really fifth grade of uh, <laughs> in school. You know, fifth grade, only cinco años, fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Lima, I also went to study in the Conservatory of Lima. And the reason I didn't is was because I never had a high school right. education. So they didn't let me in. So when I went to Puerto Rico, actually, I studied in Puerto Rico not right away. I studied 
when my daughter was born in 1968. My daughter was born, my oldest daughter, Lynette, uh, that's when I said, okay, I better get serious about music. So I'm going to study to become a professional musician. So they asked me, do you went to high school? I said, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I said, uh, I'm going to have to send it back. Uh, bring it from Peru, and, uh, but I want to study. He said, okay, no, no, it's okay. You don't need it. And uh, they believe me. The, uh, I did an audition for them to see my level of uh, of playing. So they they test me on the snare and uh, playing rudiments. And I didn't know the rudiments that well, but I was able to read because I read a little piano and I read the trumpet. So when they, they did the the audition I, I went through, and the teachers were already some of the guys that I was playing with on the on the uh. band on the shows in Puerto Rico in San Juan. So they said, "No, that's all. he's a professional already. He wants to just study here and get better, and uh, we should give him a chance." They talk about that, you know, about me, and they let me in. So I study only three years in the conservatory, and actually. I started a little bit of mallets and timpanis, and but mainly what I learned from that was how to follow the conductors, you know, uh, of the orchestra, and the classical music, and also, you know, uh, I got involved in listening classical music, which I never had really deep into it, and it was really great. I mean, I said, wow, I love this, all all these composers and compositions and masterpieces, you know. So it was wonderful. It opened my mind. It made me grow musically. And I had a lot of respect for classical music. I believe uh, shortly after you ended up uh, living in Las Vegas. How did you end up there? When I felt that I was ready in San Juan, I said I wanted to really go to the United States uh, again. Uh, I think I'm ready to go there. I can read well. I have a lot of experience playing big band, playing different styles of music. So I was married already with three children. And uh, I told my, my ex-wife in those days, Gloria, I said, um, let's go to the United States. And there was a group coming to the United States from Puerto Rico, and they knew that I wanted to come. I said, Alex, will you come with us, playing with us? Sure. So I came to New York. I wanted to stay in New York, but it got too cold in November, December. I said, no, the cold weather, I can't. <laughs> so uh, they, they, we flew to uh, Los Angeles. Uh, in those days, we were playing at the uh, Playboy Clubs. In New Jersey, it was the biggest one. It was like a compound with hotels, restaurants, and shows inside. It was like a casino and everything. It was big shows, everything beautiful. And we stayed there. And then we did the same thing here in Los Angeles, uh, here in uh, uh, Avenue of the Stars. And the, the, the times in those places were like two, three months, uh, gigs, long time uh, gigs, you know. And I told the guys, I said, you know what, I'm going to stay in Los Angeles, so I will help you to, um, to find a, a great drummer, but I'm staying in Los Angeles. Right. And uh, so I stay in Los Angeles, but then, Los Angeles also was too big for me, not in distance, but musically. I wasn't ready for Los Angeles. And one thing, one feeling that I always had, 
naturally, I didn't want them to box me. Like, uh, okay, he's a Latin player. And put right. him, you know. I wanted to play everything like I, I grew up playing in Peru. So I said, I'm going to Las Vegas because I was in Las Vegas before. I have some contacts. Anyhow, to make the long story short, went to Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, uh, a, a month later, I became the staff drummer of uh, the International Hilton Hotel. Elvis just to come over there, and uh, and they hired me to play percussion with him because he had his own drummer. But because I was in the band in the International Hilton, I played percussion with Elvis, and uh, uh, you know it was a great time for me. I was in Las Vegas playing in Las Vegas for about uh, a year and a half. Amazing! I played with Diana Rose. I played with Paul Anka in those wow. days. Yeah, I can Tina Turner, The Temptations, Gladys Knight and the Pete. Oh, wow. my first gig, my first gig in Las Vegas in the International Hilton was with Olivia Newton-John. She came from Australia. The boyfriend was a musical director. He played a guitar. So they didn't audition me, so they, they hired me. Alice, this is going to be your first gig, uh -huh. you know. And her music was very simple. You know, that, you know. Right. And uh, I wanted to mention her uh, her name because that was my first gig in Las Vegas in 1974, maybe, 74. Wow. Later that year, I guess in 74, you joined the legendary jazz fusion band Weather Report, first as a percussionist and later on as a drummer. How did that happen? How did you meet them? Did you audition? No, actually, never. Uh, I didn't audition. Uh, great, thank you for that question. Some musicians from New York, uh, they came because um, Lou Rose, a great singer, uh, was living in New York, and he brought some musicians with him from New York that they used to play with Miles Davis. And one of them was the percussionist, Tom Elias. And uh, Don Elias already knew who I was by word of mouth. Right. And uh, he saw me playing drums with another country western singer, Charlie Rich, in the first half of the concert, the show in the International Hilton. And then, after I playing drums, they close in the night with the Temptations. And then I switch to play congas with the sensation. <laughs> you know, and he was in the in the audience, and he says, "Wow, the same guy that was playing the drums now is playing the congas." He said, "The only two guys in the whole world that play conga and drums. One guy is from Cuba. His name is Walfredo." And the other guy is from Peru, is Alex. That has to be Alex. <laughs> so he waited for me. When I came out, you know, with the musician going going out after the concert, he said, Alex. He said, Don, I knew who he was, Don Elias. Don, how are you, man? We had each other. And immediately we started hanging out. And he said, would you like to play? I said, you mean jazz? Yeah. Okay. So we formed a band. We start playing with um, 
ex-base player that used to play with World Report. His name is Miroslav Vitos. I think he did the two first records of World Report, 1973 and 1971. So we started a band, and we played around here. I quit the Hilton because I came to the United States to play jazz. So I quit the Hilton. And then the, three months later, they left to New York. I stayed in Las Vegas. My ex-wife knew that I came, we came to the United States because I wanted to play jazz. And she said, no, it's fine. And, uh, you know, we were living good in Las Vegas. We had a house and everything was great. You know, I still work in Las Vegas in the lounges and everything. And one day I received a call, a phone call from uh, Joe Sawinu, who's the keyboard player from Weather Report. And uh, he said, man, I heard, I, I heard great things about you. And they told me that uh, you live in Las Vegas. So he said, would you like to play with the band? I said, wow. Yes. Who is this? This <laughs> is Joe Sawinu. <laughs> right. I said, I couldn't believe it. So, yes, I started playing uh, percussion with them. They didn't audition me. Uh, I gave him the list of all the instruments that I needed. And uh, a month later, my first trip with Weather Report was actually to the Berlin Jazz Festival, 1975. There is a video on YouTube. It's called Jazz at the Philharmonic in Berlin, 1975. And you can see it. I was playing percussion with Weather Report. That was my first trip to Europe. And uh, everything is documented. Everything is there. It's wonderful. Uh, I saw it and I said, wow, that was my first gig with Weather Report. Fantastic. By my count, Weather Report had six percussionists and ten drummers before you. What's your take on why they had so much turnover in those roles? Well, I think because they wrote music, especially Joe Sanguinol and Wayne Shorter, uh, very contemporary. The music of today, everything that we hear today about sound, you know, about the contemporary music of today is actually thanks to Weather Report. Sawinor was the one who first started playing all the sounds that we, all the electronic keyboards that we, that we're hearing now and, and, and that we're going to be hearing forever. But it was Joe Sawinor. So just to say that they were very contemporary musically, and they need people that were able to interpret their compositions because, uh, like I said before, in those days, the musicians, the jazz musicians developed all the time. They were always, every record was different uh, from the 70s, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75. When I joined was 75, they already had five records. And, uh, they needed musicians that worked like them, uh, in a way. Very, not advanced, but very sensitive, very, uh, that they can take the challenge, that they can go forward, that they can develop, that can, they can understand all the different styles and all the different, you know, music. Joe Sauno was from Vienna, and Joe Sauno became the best blues pianist in America. <laughs> wow. Yes, exactly. And Wayne Shorter was, when you ask about Mal Davis, Wayne Shorter is the one that really 
took Mal Davis to another level with his compositions, all the music that he wrote from the, from in the 60s. Uh, Wayne Shorter is the composer of, of a, a, lot of, a lot of the music that people remember from Mal Davis. You know, for example, like Footprints, you know, Pinocchio, all those fantastic compositions, you know, of uh, of uh, Wayne Shorter. So Weather Report was a very contemporary, you know, very kind of, let's go forward kind of band. And um, it was a hard chair to play percussion and to play drums. But actually, I think I'm the only one that did percussion in one record and did drums in the other record. And the record where I, where I played the drums actually is the most famous record. Heavy Weather. Of, yeah, Heavy Weather. It still sounds fantastic and amazing. And uh, I attribute all that to, to the creator, you know, because... Uh, I think uh, I'm pretty sure uh, he was blessing me with music first and uh, and with a feeling uh, that I always had for this beautiful art, which is music. How was your experience recording those two albums, Black Market and Heavy Weather? Black Market was the first uh, one that I recorded. Uh, it was amazing because... I was younger. I was only, when I started playing with them, I was uh, 31 years old, exactly 31. And uh, I'm a very uh, observant, and I like to listen. Like I mentioned before, all kinds of music. And uh, I, I saw how Wayne prepares himself to play, the way he plays, how he improvises, how he creates how he develops, and I saw this, the same thing uh, about Joe. And the other musicians that were playing with me, uh, the drummer was Chester Thompson, that also became uh, Phil Collins' drummer for, for Genesis. And then uh, the bass player was um, Alfonso Johnson, who is a fantastic musician as well, and very contemporary players. So I was really bouncing, musically speaking, by listening to them, listening to the harmony of Joe and to the way uh, Wayne. So that facilitated really a lot for me to interpret music the way they were creating music in those moments, you know. So when anybody listens to that record, you, you can hear and you can feel that uh, it was definitely like uh, having a conversation, like you and I, you ask me and I, answer you, things like that, and I explained to the best, best of my abilities. And music became that way to us. And, um, and then the drums, by that time, Jacko already was in the band. I actually recommend Jacko to the band, because oh, wow. Don Elias, yeah, Don Elias, when we became friends, was playing already with Jacko. And Don is the one that uh, introduced me Jacko sonically. I didn't know Jacko, but I have Jacko's uh, information and everything. So I recommend Jacko to Weather Report, and Jacko came. And when Jacko came, the band really went to another level in a different way, you know, uh, more contemporary, more to the younger audience. And uh, so the band really lived uh, amazingly uh, in popularity. Especially here in the United States, right. in Europe, in Europe, the band was already very, very popular. We 
we played in Europe without Jaco before the, in 1975 and part of 1976. And uh, in Paris, in England, in all those places, we were like the Beatles of jazz. <laughs> uh, oh, really, really. The, 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 in those days, fusion was very popular, like, uh, you know, like rock and roll used to be. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, 35,000 people came to see us play, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a lot of people. We played in Paris five nights, uh, every every night, uh, six, 7,000 people, you know, something like that. So it, it was huge. And here, too, here we play at the Hollywood Bowl, we play at the big venues, we play in New York, you know, and... Uh, we play in the big theaters in New York, and we fill fill every place, you know. And uh, so the band really took off, even more popular here in the United States. Everybody also was it was more lucrative as well, you know. Everybody was definitely making more money, and uh, it became a better a better in every ways. And and the record that we made was uh, beautiful. The melodies, the the playing. Uh, we rehearsed, you know, like a week before we recorded. And then, um, but always keeping, keeping the music, uh, fresh, always, uh, open to improvise, open to change things around. You know, that was the experience that I have in general with Weather Report. They were very open for any idea that you had. It was always well received. Even if it was, wasn't the right idea. They never, they, they never say, oh, no, it's not good. And they never say that. They say, oh, sounds great. Man. And then, you know, they say, let's modify this. Let's modify <laughs> that. <You know? laughs> but also, no, I want to tell you this. When we were, when we start traveling, when we start making more money, and the reason I mention money is because uh, Weather Report is probably the only band and the only group in my life that when Wayne and Joe we were, they were the leaders of the band. But the minute you joined the band, you became a member of the band. Yes, so when we travel, if they travel first class, because in those days, there were no business class. First class and, um, and whatever, they were the regular class. <laughs> they, they say, no, 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 the whole band has to travel first class. Five-star hotels, yes, everybody has to stay in five-star hotels. It's not like, uh, you know, the band leader or the singer or the, or the famous guy stays in, in the Waldorf Astoria and, and the band stays in another hotel, you know. Right. It wasn't like that. And uh, also, economically, everybody started making more money. So we travel first class. We stay in New York. We stay in the Plaza Hotel. Nice. The, the room that I have in the Plaza Hotel in New York was bigger than my home. I mean, you know, <laughs> in, in those days, I have like three TVs, you know, one in the living room, one in the room, another one in the bathroom, and I was running uh, inside, inside that room. It was huge. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, it was. So that, that's what I wanted to, to mention, that um, it, it was incredible because Joe and Wayne, they were musicians before, so they knew they wanted to treat well to the musicians as well. And they, and they saw that the, the band was growing in popularity and financially, so everybody started making more money as well. Uh, uh, weekly, uh, everybody, you know, we got a we got a big raise. Uh, I mean, huge. So I just want to mention that it wasn't just about you know being in a great group and uh, you know this and that, but also the consideration that they had for for us 
when they did a, 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 you know, when people came to interview them, the first thing they said, you know, I also want you guys to interview Jaco, Alex, and Manolo. Not wow. just, ah, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Nobody does that. I understand that you and, and Jaco uh, became pretty close. As a percussionist and, and later as a drummer, what was it like to play with a bass player like him? We became very close because Jaco came from Fort Lauderdale in Florida, and I was still living in Las Vegas. So we shared a room with two beds, the Tropicana Hotel in Santa Monica Boulevard, close to Beverly Hills. And uh, so we became very close friends. And uh, in those days, he was really, he was an athlete. He got up every morning and he said, Alex, let's go, let's go, you know, run for a couple of miles. So we went and we jogged for a couple of miles. Let's go swim. Okay, let's swim. Let's have some good break, breakfast. Yeah, great. Let's go. You and I, let's jam a little bit just based on percussion. And, uh, and I said, no, man, I play drums too. Really? Okay, well, so we went. And uh, one day, we went there very early when we were rehearsing for the tour, and Joe Sawinall came. And still, Chester Thompson was in the band as a drummer. And uh, when Joe Sawinall came, he said, who's playing drums? <laughs> because, you know, I'm a, I'm a small guy, and Chester is taller, and, and in those days, he used, you know, like drummers of today, they use a lot of drums, you know, uh, a lot of toms, high tom toms, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I was playing with Jaco just bass and drums. And Joe said, Alex, I didn't know you played drums. I said, well, <laughs> you know, I'm hired as a percussionist. I never wanted to sit down on a chest of drums because I don't want him to think that I'm taking his gig. Right. But, uh, but you know, so if he comes right now, I say, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop playing, you know, because I, I don't do that. I don't show off, you know. And uh, she said, no, man, bring, bring your drums too. I want you to play drums and percussion. I said, we have two drummers. That would be even better. Blah, blah, blah. And Jaco said, uh, no, 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 no. I prefer Alex to play the drums. Ooh. So so I don't think Chester plays percussion, so we want to have to hire another percussionist. And Chester understood that. Chester understood. He said, okay, you know, it's fine with me. And uh, it, it's, it, it became like, it's either Chester or Jaco in the band. So they said, well, we need the bass player. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have the drummer. He understood, and that's when he went to play with uh, Phil Collins, you know, with the Genesis. Actually, it was good. <laughs> and then uh, we auditioned a percussionist, Manolo Badrena, fantastic musician. And uh, uh, so that's when we started rehearsing and playing and developing new music for Heavy Weather. And that's what Heavy Weather came out uh Amazingly. So, yeah, Jaco and I, we have a lot of insights uh, about friendship and everything, about family. He, he already had uh, two children. I had three children. We became very close friends. I used, I used to go to visit with my children uh, Florida. He used to come to Las Vegas and visit also. And uh, we play all the time. We were very close in many ways, musically. You know, and uh, our lives were very similar. But little by little, when you start going on the road, things change uh, because uh, we used to go sometimes three months, sometimes four months, not coming back home, you know, doing Europe 
two months, uh, one month in 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 Japan, and and then two months in the United States, and you know we work about six months out of the year, very especially in the summer, in the summertime. And anyhow, but we became very close, and uh, until he started changing, right, and I noticed that, and uh, that's when I I left the band. I really left the band because. Uh, I was looking forward to be in one place here in Los Angeles. So I bought a house here in 1978 and brought my family from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. And I told them, I said, uh, I gave him enough time. I said, I cannot uh, continue in the band. I'm going to stay in Los Angeles to become a studio musician. Uh, I've been getting a lot of calls to do movie soundtracks, to do albums with many other bands and players. And so I'm going to stay in Los Angeles because I want also a steady check, and I want to help my wife to raise my children. So so that's what I did. How were the sessions in L.A. in 1978 different from the sessions you had done in Lima so many years earlier when you were 16? The sessions in Los Angeles, it was so many sessions, 78, 79, all the way to about 96, 98, actually. Uh, I can say... We did sessions like from 10 o'clock in the morning to about midnight, uh, recording, especially with everybody, doing movies on tracks, singers, Joe Cocker in those days, and Blondie, you know, uh, a lot of hits, a lot of TV in those days. We uh, They were making a lot of television. They're still making a lot of television now, but they're using more machines now, less musicians. But in those days, they were using musicians to do the television, uh, you know, every day for for every week, uh, you know, programs. And what I learned or what I continued to to enhance was mainly that I was in, in, in good shape, playing constantly, reading a lot, and very creative because every act, Act, uh, you know, every act or every band or every singer or every situation, musical situation, had to be treated differently. You know, when you play in orchestra, when you play for Blondie, or you play for Diana Rose or recording for anybody else, you know, and uh, or Barbara Streisand, per se, or doing uh, fusion records or Latin jazz records or Latin records, it had to be a different approach. And uh, so... I will measure that it was the same as Peru. In Peru, I was already in shape, playing also different kinds of music and reading every day and playing television and playing everything, you know. So as far as playing, it was, and it still is very comfortable. Definitely uh, over here, everything else is in a different, it's in a different le- le- how do you say, level. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Um, I got very comfortable that people will transport my instrument. So when I go to the studio, my instrument is already set up. And uh, so, you know, I don't have to bring sticks or anything. They're already ready to go, uh, do the sound check and record. And then, you know, go to the next session. And I have my instruments over there as well. And uh, I was very comfortable. That was the only difference that I didn't have in Peru. Right. <laughs> But as far as the music, definitely, you know, there's a, a different era, you know, a different season. Uh, the 80s was changing a little bit more. 
to disco, you know, remember the disco right. was beginning to happen and more rock and roll and things like that. And in the nineties when I played with, uh, with U2, it was totally different also already. So every decade is being different here in the United States, in, in Los Angeles especially. But, you know, we learn, I learn from all those environments so much and how to, uh, with the experience that I had before, and how to really develop and continue to be fresh, continue to be active, continue to be, you know, present in these moments of, uh, that I'm working right now here in Los Angeles. From the 60s to the 70s, and now the year 2000, you know, I always try to adapt myself. Um, I went into electronics, electronic sound, drums, electronics, and everything. And, uh, just to be contemporary and to be, you know, uh, on, on demand, on the same demand, working and playing with everybody. I had two necessities. My necessity was to really make enough money to educate my children, five children. They all went to college. And, uh, that was my first necessity. And the second one was to continue to be current so I can still stay in demand. Clearly, you've succeeded at doing that. I understand that only a small group of the very best session musicians gets to work on film scores. You've worked on countless film scores with the best film composers, uh, like Alan Silvestri, John Williams, Hans Zimmer. Is session work for film scores, in your opinion, very different from other session work? Yes, they are. Because depending on that, and I'm glad that you mentioned all those uh great, amazing composers, and still more composers now. Some composers, they really want you to play what is written, like a classical piece. In some pieces, I would say, not all, not, not all day, not every day. And then in some other pieces, they say, you know, uh, you deserve this. Uh, what, what better sound, what better pattern or different pattern that you have and you can be looser in this this piece, and you can use the sound that you think will fit better for for this music right now, for this piece of music, and things like that, which is amazing. You know, it's like um, they put the music. I would say it's different because we're playing. Eighty musicians are playing at the same time. You know, sometimes six to eight percussionists. Wow. Yeah, and so it's not time for delay. You really have to. Produce, produce, and produce. So you have to really, you know, be in good shape at reading, uh, especially, and discerning and experience. That's why uh, I'm 71 years old now, and I'm still getting calls, a lot of calls to play in a movie. Actually, next week I'm going to play in another movie. It's totally different because the quantity of musicians, it's 80 musicians, it's a symphony orchestra. And you don't have much time to really rehearse. You rehearse once, and the second time they're recording it. Wow. Yeah, so that thing, every, everything that we talked, when I went to the conservatory in Peru, I mean, in Puerto Rico, to learn about the composers and classical music, you know, and a little bit of training of piano and the trumpet and, and the, the, the beat, uh, experience that I acquired with World Report 
and, and and my Latin chops, uh, you know, because uh, I spent in Puerto Rico, so I know how to play really uh, Latin music really well. So I have rhythm, <laughs> and uh, all those you put them together, and that's what it comes. They not too many Latin percussionists. Let's let's put it that way. They can really came and and do what I do because they didn't have the experience to study orchestral stuff and uh, to read well and prepare. And also, you know, if he composes, say, can you do something else, something different? And, and you know, see, that's when my jazz approach comes with weather report, the sound, and everything. And, and that that's why it's, it's very different. And I'm very blessed, again, I will say that, um, to be still working in demand, playing a lot of movie soundtracks here in Los Angeles right now. That's great hindsight. Uh, looking back at your life, your career, and connecting all of the dots that have taken you where you are now, that's, that's wonderful to hear. Switching subjects, you're known as a gifted teacher. You've taught at uh, many universities, UCLA, Berklee School of Music. Uh, you've given countless drum and percussion clinics. What type of setting do you enjoy the most as an educator? I have one-to-one students also. Actually, one of my students is a famous, famous, one of the most famous drummers right now in the air. He's the drummer with Paul McCartney, Abe Laboriel. Yeah. Yeah, Abe was my first student. <laughs> when, I came, when I came to California, we became very close to his father, with his father, Abe Laboriel Sr., and uh, Abe was six, seven years old, and he wanted to start playing with me. So I took him actually when he was nine, and I kept him. I kept him for eight years. He started with me, and then I also got him a scholarship to go to Berkeley, and he finished Berkeley. And uh, anyhow, what happened is you 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 can see now in in a resume all the things that I told you about music. You know my experience when I tell somebody. When they call me, say, Alex, I want to study with you. I said, really? If you want to study with me, do you want to go to the whole program with me on drums or percussion or both? Or you just want to take a few lessons and then you're going to say, oh, I'm studying with Alex Acuna. Right. Because my students, they go all the way with me. And I said, my program can take you to three or four years. And if you want to take my program, I won't charge you anything for free. Really? Yeah. And I said, but if you want to just come and, and say, no, I just want to take one or two lessons. I said, well, if you want to take one or two lessons, it's going to cost you $500 an hour. And they don't come. <laughs> you see? Yeah. They don't come. Yeah, they don't come. You know, and they don't come, I don't know, because they don't want, you know, they want a quick fix or something like that, you know. I cannot show people, you know, two, three things. You're not going to help him so much, especially now. So I have three students right now. Uh, Abe Laboriel, the other drummer is, is living in uh, in Italy, in Rome. He uh, became a very famous drummer in Europe. Uh, he's from Mexico. He used to drive from Tijuana to study with me. Wow. With his parents when he was 15. Also got him a scholarship to go to Berkeley. He didn't want to go to Berkeley, so he went to to Italy. And you know, his, uh, his name is Israel Varela. And he's making his own records and everything. Very, 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 very well known and an amazing drummer. 
And the third one is my grandson, Elias, which is living here with me now, and he's studying with me. And the, and the other way, uh, you know, when I, I went to those universities, it was mainly like a residency, you know, I did three, four days, you know, in New York and uh, here in Cisan uh, and USC. And actually, sometimes I go to Europe, uh, England also, and, uh, you know, Norway, and I do, do residency four or five days just teaching, you know. That's kind of a clinics and teaching uh, master classes and, and drone, on drones and precaution. I just went to Cuba uh, a month ago, also did the same thing in Havana. And I go to South America a lot to do that in Argentina, Chile, uh, Brazil, uh, Peru, of course, uh, Colombia, Venezuela, not lately because it's very hard to get in there. But um, yeah, I like to do master classes and explain you know, uh, the, 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 the thing, how I learn, how I learn and how I develop. So I love, I love to share because for me, for me, it's, it's definitely sharing the gift, sharing the experience, sharing music, you know, sharing the art and uh, helping new musicians. But it's definitely, it's up to the student how far he wants to go, how much he loves to be involved with the discipline and the learning aspects. And especially now, to be able to work, I think it's good if you play drums and percussion, you can work a little bit more than just playing drums or just playing percussion. And if you read well, and if you understand about the different styles and different music, you know, from ethnic music all the way to classical music, then you have a better chance to work right now in these times uh, as a professional musician. So I really do enjoy to, to, to teach and share my abilities. On an entirely different subject, I heard that you've studied martial arts for a long time and has had a positive impact on your life in general and your music. How have martial arts affected your music? Okay. <laughs> I learned karate because uh, my, my ex-wife, uh, she's still a beautiful woman, but when she was younger, uh, you know, she looked like Jay Lowe with the blue eyes, you know, like that. <laughs> no, really, I mean, beautiful is uh, the mother of my, my son. And one day, you know, we, we just walking, you know, she was, she was my girlfriend and a guy really touched her butt, you know, and, oh. uh, so she said, Alex, you know, that guy touched me. So when I went to, and the guy had about two, three, four other guys with him. Oof. And he, they punched me, kicked me, and they embarrassed me. I lost my shoes running away from them because I was being kicked in the floor in Puerto Rico. So I said, okay, this is not going to happen to me again, ever <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and um, so I started taking a Shorin Ryu, which is a Okinawan Karate, and I got in Puerto Rico until I became a brown belt. And then when I left, I stopped practicing because uh, I was, you know, in New York, uh, Los Angeles, Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, I found a teacher, but he was a little bit too too rough because every time every time I practiced with him, when I blocked him, oh, you know, he didn't want to be blocked. He wanted to kick me and punch me. I said, I'm sorry, I, I cannot keep taking classes with you, so I didn't. And then I moved here to Los Angeles. I started taking over here Muay Thai, which is kickboxing. 
with uh, Benny the Jet Urquides. Yes. He's a undefeated champion. Yeah. And Benny the Jet. And I did three years and I brought all my, all my boys and my girls too. They did, they did, uh, karate and, uh, and, and then we finished that. And then I, I did Thai ball. I mean, I did five years of Thai ball. And then every time I went to Peru, I did, uh, Tai Chi because I always wanted to be in good uh, shape and uh, be, you know, aware of everything and everything. I, I like, I like, I like to stay like that. But one day I'm doing a clinic here at CSUN, Cal State Northridge University. And two drummers came that they practice with Danny Nosanto. Danny Nosanto, he spent nine years with Bruce Lee. And he has an academy it's called the IAMA, I-A-M-A, Inosanto Academy Martial Arts. And I went there, they used drummers and percussionists during the class. So they play. Really? Interesting. You know, and I said, wow. <laughs> and he teaches about six different styles. He teaches kickboxing, which is Mutai, and then Silat. Silat is from uh, Indonesia. It looks like capoeira, but it's not capoeira. And then Kali, with the sticks, is from Philippines. And, uh, and then he takes Wing Chun. He takes Jet Kune Do, the style of Bruce Lee. And then he teaches Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And the guys that have been with him for about 20, 25 years, those are the guys that do all the choreography here in Hollywood. Uh, Kobe Bryant takes private lessons with him. Also, Denzel Washington takes lessons with him. And a lot of musicians training there. So I went to the academy. They told him about me. Said, Alice is a dominant percussionist. And uh, he actually doesn't take uh, beginners in his class. He only teaches brown belts and black belts. But he let me in because I already had a little training. And because mainly I was a drummer and percussionist. He said, <laughs> everything that I, I'm teaching here, the drummers and the precautionists are the best ones because of the coordination. So I've been three and a half years now with, uh, with Daniel Santo. When I joined him, I was 68. He says, nobody started doing SILA at 68 years old. Uh-huh. But he said, you do it because you have some training and you feel like you're very young and, and everything. You have great, you know, I have a great stamina and everything. So to make the long story short, now I put together his teachings because he has one thing that he called Heaven Six. The Heaven Six is like a, when we play our Peruvian music or the Cuban music. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. You know, like that. By the way, in parenthesis, I will say this. Bruce Lee used to be a cha-cha-cha dancer champion in Hong Kong. I had no idea. It's on YouTube when, <laughs> he, was, when he was 12 years old. So when he met with Danny Nosanto, he told Danny Nosanto, he said, Dan, I discovered that dance, music, and martial arts are the same thing. Now I can prove that. <laughs> because it's timing, it's coordination, it's dance, it's stamina, it's strength, you develop speed, and it's also spiritual. And I said, wow, 
out of the heaven six that I said, you know, the, the, the six, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, that rhythm with the sticks, I'm able to create many different rhythms, you know, so it's keeping me in good shape. It's keeping me alert. My uh, coordination has improved. And I think I'm playing now better than when I was 40 or 50 years old. Uh, I feel like I am uh, more experienced. Uh, I have a great stamina, and uh, I think I can play faster too. <laughs> and uh, yes, it has improved a lot. Uh, I'm a brown belt now, and I have a, a brown Ica on uh, Ica. It's like um, a, a scarf that you you put in, in your waist when you do silat. And then uh, a brown belt um, when you when I do um, Kali. And I also do Wing Chun, and I do a little bit of Jekundu, wow. uh, Bruce Lee. So I practice about 10 hours a week. That's impressive, Alex. Yeah, it's impressive for me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I will recommend, believe me, I will recommend, not only to musicians, not only to drummers, to everybody to do some kind of martial arts. Now, there is only one thing. If the teacher is as good, not not on skills only, but as good as good person as Daniel Santo, they should join to study with somebody like that that is humble, right? Knowledgeable, that has wisdom, that will teach you with patience, will explain to you exactly the way it's supposed to be. It's like it's like a, a beginning to play drums, you know. Very simple beat, and then you go to the next one, and then to the next one, you know, and then it becomes this martial art becomes something that you're gonna do forever. Now, me at 71 years old, I can say I'm a martial artist. I'm 71. I can do it. I can. <laughs> I can still do everything that they're doing, you know, because it becomes a way of life. And one day he put me in the middle of the academy, and he called me in the center to ask me questions. And with drumming and martial arts, and I answered all of them. And he said, Alex, tell everybody why you starting martial arts at 68 years old. And uh, I said, well, because I want to preserve myself. I want to be mentally good, spiritually, soulfully, physically. I'm not, I'm not here for the belt or anything like that. I'm here to be healthy, and I'm going to learn at my own speed. At my own pace, he said, that's exactly the reason why everybody should take martial arts for the health and for everything else that Alex just mentioned. One day, and with this I finished this, one day he said very loudly, he said, you've been with me, he pointed at some, some of his black belt, you've been with me 20 years, you've been with me 15 years, you've been with me 10 years. All those guys are doing a stunt and, uh, you know, teaching and uh, here in the movie industry and everything. He said, I really don't know if he, everything that I'm teaching here works. So the young students, you know, they look at each other and say, man, we're paying a lot of money here and uh, we don't know if this works. <laughs> so when we took a break, went to the parking lot, I called those guys and said, hey, guys, do you understand what he meant? He said, well, you know, he said that... Uh, he doesn't know if all these things that he's teaching really works. I said, no, no, that's not, 
that's what he said. But that's not what he meant. He said, what do you mean? What he meant is he never had to use it. Right, right, right. That's right. what he meant. You can use it, but he never had to use it. Of course it works. Of course it works. <laughs> look at this. Look at that. Look at this block. Look at this. Uh, this arm. It works. That's that's good stuff. Alex, I heard that you've been writing a book about your life. What can you tell me about it? Yes, I've been writing this book for the last 20 years. <laughs> and it's because it takes so long. And the main reason why I want to write this book is because, um, see, my children, they know, they saw me grow up with them. They grew up watching me doing what I do, traveling and everything. But my, I have now nine grandchildren. They don't know. I mean, all, yeah, all the oldest one, they know. I said, I want to write this so they know where they come from, who they are, what is the lineage. They're too young to understand, you know. And so I want to leave uh, for them. I want to leave that, that kind of a history, you know, of uh, who, I, who I am. And mainly that's the main reason why I will do that because I really don't don't talk much about it. But I'm also a missionary, you know. I went, I did mission in my country, in Peru, especially, uh, with other American missionaries that I met over there. Uh, we have given more than 128,000 wheelchairs in Peru. Wow. Yeah, we never asked the government. We never asked the churches or anything like that. Uh, we never tell anybody. Only the people that receive the chairs knows. And, uh, you know, we also send a lot, a lot of medicine and plant hospitals, especially in the remote places like the Amazon mm -hmm. and the Andes, you know, in those places. And uh, so I'm involved with that. Uh, the, the way I'm involved is uh, I go there, bring some musicians sometimes, uh, bring my family, and we do a little concert. And I got to see all kinds of people. I was able to see little children mutilated, some of them with no legs, some of them, some of them with no arms, and still very happy and very joyful. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. Those things I really don't don't say much about them, but a lot of people don't know that I also do that. You know, it's not just uh, here working, which is incredible to work in the movies and recording. I also have my studio at home and uh, record a lot. It covers the whole spectrum, you know, the physical, the mental, the family, the ministry, you know, my health, uh, the music, my profession, and uh, my thankfulness to God. And uh, and all those things is still keeping me alive. It's, uh, it's been a great journey, and it will continue to be a great journey. That's why I, I take care of myself, so I can continue to be a witness of how my grandkids are going to be developing. And I have a wonderful wife now, my, my wife Diana, for 36 years, Diana Acuna, and um, five children and nine grandchildren, a great profession here in Los Angeles, and a lot of friends like Ricardo and now you. So it's, it's fantastic to be able to be surrounded by, by a lot of love, you know. Alex? It's been a true pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much for your time. You've been very generous and you've shared some wonderful stories. Thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much too. 